All right. Hi, everybody. Thank you to everyone who's joining in on this. This is Grad Chat, where we just kind of talk about the different pieces that make grad school difficult, what make grad school kind of awesome, and everything in between. Super excited for the talk today about self-empathy, all of those different pieces. And hopefully you have a lot of questions. We've got some coming in. Uh, and we have the amazing, my amazing co-host, Fei Lin. Hey, Fei. Hi, Susanna. Hi, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Faye Lin. I'm a PhD candidate in biochemistry at UCLA. Woohoo, PhD candidate. That's super exciting. And I uh, am Susanna Harris. I just finished up my PhD in microbiology at UNC of Chapel Hill. Um, it does feel good to be done. And, and so Faye and I talk all the time anyway, like we're actual friends and we talk about the all of grad school and just the difficulties. And so we started this to try to give other people a chance to join in and just maybe learn from our experiences, uh, maybe learn from others that we get to share, talk about these questions. Uh, and so if you're here in the chat, feel free to drop in and let us know what you're thinking. Let us know if you have questions. And, but we wanna get started as quickly as possible because we always run out of time for questions. Let's see. Um, Make sure that we're actually streaming. Is it streaming? I'm always very worried. Okay, it says it's streaming, but on my computer it says not. We'll see. <laughs> uh, okay, so I asked this question earlier on. I asked what folks have questions about regarding empathy, self-empathy versus kind of like getting yourself to actually be sufficient in grad school, self-sufficient, and making sure that you can keep yourself motivated and going. Um, and there were a lot of really good questions about it. So I want to jump into one of these. Uh, so Sauerkraus, who is Liesl, Liesl asked and was being pretty tongue-in-cheek with this, but talking about like what empathy, what kind of self-empathy can a person have? So um, yeah, like what do you think about empathy? Is this even, is it even possible to have empathy towards yourself? Like, what does that even mean? Yeah, no, it's, I, it's a great question. And I think it took me some time to build what it meant to be empathetic to myself, which I think is one of the most important skills that you can build for yourself in life is how to be kind to yourself. So I, when I think of self-empathy in grad school, I like to distinguish how I think about myself compared with the external environment and maybe any toxicity that is thrown at me from my environment. So that could be from grad students or mentors or in academia. It, it is unfortunately kind of prevalent where we have this culture of you, you just have to handle all of this negativity and if you can't then you're not fit for academia which if anything is a toxic culture it shouldn't be what you need to do to be worthy of science so first i think for me just recognizing that this culture is not good and that it's not gonna serve me to tear myself down for for a publication or, or for a, a field that just is full of negativity and just distinguishing a toxic culture 
from actual constructive feedback mm-hmm. about my performance or how I'm doing as a scientist or who I am as a person, that that sort of separation was really important, I think, for me to keep in mind. Yeah, and I think you totally are on it with the idea of like the overall culture in academia. I think that that needs a big shift. I think that some of the most amazing people I've ever met are in academia and some of the least amazing people I've ever met are, are also there. And unfortunately, I mean, a, a small group of folks can really make it awful for a lot. Um, and, and I think not just in terms of like, oh, they're, they're really destructive and toxic, but it just creates this atmosphere of us constantly feeling like we have to be working, constantly just like not hitting the mark because there is no mark. Um, so I think what's really a, an important piece of that is is seeing yourself from the outside. Like how would you treat a friend in these situations? And if your friend was coming to you and saying, this is the feedback I'm getting from my boss. This is, you know, I, I'm struggling with all this. Um, and I think what was really interesting for me in grad school was to talk to grad students about the issues I was dealing with versus people not in grad school, where I would talk with friends about, oh, hey, uh, this is really, this is really difficult. If, if there are other people in, in lab, I'd say, or, or in other labs, I'd say like, I'm not really getting the, the feedback that I need, or I feel like I'm constantly working, but making no progress. Or, you know, I had this really bad interaction at this conference and people would say like, yeah, it sucks. I'm so sorry. But you talk with folks outside of academia and you tell them, you know, I, I my friend went through this situation where they had a really bad boss who was just straight up emotionally abusing them. And when I talked to other grad school students about it, it was like, oh, I hate that those people exist. When I talked to friends outside, they're like, how has that person not lost their job? How have how has the your friend not gone to somewhere like HR? And it's like, there is no HR. Um, and I feel like in the end, this is the environment that exists right now. Like we all need to do our part to change that. And I think that, you know, the people who are watching this, I think I'm preaching to the choir here that the folks who are tuning into these things, they want it to change and and we want it to change. Um, But my, my therapist taught me something really important early on when I started meeting with her four years ago, um, that sometimes we have to kind of have this radical acceptance of the situation that we're in that like, sometimes you you can only change so much as you can. And so I think a lot of the things that you and I have talked about is how can we get through this situation? Um, How can I, you know, how can I keep going even if this is the reality that I'm living in? Yeah, I love, love everything you just said. (laughs) I, Yeah, I just want to echo two points. One being that I I love this distinction you made between talking to grad students versus talking to people outside of academia. And one, I want to say something about that. And then it's the second point about how we are in the system and change is slow. And we also have to figure out a way to keep going in the system if we are a grad student and still, you know, earning that degree. That is also an important topic to hit on. So for the first point about, it's really interesting you bring up this difference between how grad students view our environment versus how people outside of academia view our environment. And you see this contrast of like, 
wow, other people outside think this is, this is really wrong. There's something really, really toxic about this environment. And I think what I was running into as a grad student, especially in the first few years was trying my best to find support, reaching out to fellow grad students, but then having fellow grad students also say, this is the norm. You know, there's, you're, you're experiencing what you're supposed to experience. This is just how grad school is supposed to be. There's nothing wrong with it was a response that I often got. And that's not, I'm not going to blame anyone for having that response because again, that's just how the system is set up. But at the same time, if we're accepting this as the norm, that that's not right. <laughs> it's not right to accept this, this sort of system of, of just so many systemic issues as, as the norm. Yeah. So for a while, I, I felt like if we're going back to this idea of self-empathy that I was struggling and it was normal. So like, I didn't deserve to be here. That's the thought process that I went through because everyone accepted it as the norm. Mm-hmm. So that resonated with me a lot. And this aspect of this is the current system changes, unfortunately, slow. And how can we still live with the system and also push for change? And I think what what helped is first having that realization is that the system is broken (laughs) and that that has nothing to do with my self-worth. And accepting the fact that change is slow because I think for a while I was also wanting things to change overnight which unfortunately isn't realistic but also celebrating any small steps toward change so that could be you know Suzanne and I talk a lot about mental health in academia and I think it's been really exciting to see how much positivity and great discussions that has brought up and I, I think that you know, you know, the fact that we're doing this chat now is pretty exciting. And I think that's something to celebrate. It's a step toward getting these discussions going and just celebrating that people want a healthier workplace in academia. Yes, absolutely. I mean, just so much yes. And especially what resonated with me there is like, you can't expect it to change overnight. Um, and just because, just because it won't change overnight um, doesn't mean it's not worth doing these small things. And, you know, I I wish that I had had some of the messages that I've seen in this last year. I wish I had those at the start of my, you know, my start of my work. And a lot of that is is around what you said of like the self-talk of I don't belong here. And unfortunately, like we say self-talk and I think that 95% of the negative input we get comes from ourselves, but is also sort of gaslighting to folks to say, oh, this is all coming from inside of you. Uh, you know, we talked a lot about imposter syndrome last time, and I think a really big piece of that was uh, there is a lot of stuff that comes from within us, but then it's also important to realize it might just not, it's not all in your head. You know, if you're, uh, there's, academia is set up for one type of person, and if you are a woman, or if you're a person of color, if you're an international student, if you're supporting a family, if you're LGBTQ, there's all of these different folks who academia is not set up for them. And so you might actually have people saying, maybe this isn't the place for you. And to realize that you are, 
your presence, your being there, your supporting others, your speaking your truth and making tiny, tiny pokes in the outline of, of what academia is, that's a really big deal. And that that makes a difference for other people, your ability to support yourself and to explore who you are and to refuse to accept these really false narratives about who academia should be for. I think that's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love the, the, the term you said that academia is made for one type of person. So that, that really, really struck me because it can be said to describe the lack of diversity in academia. And also another thought I, that came to my mind when you said that is, is the type of work style where, you know, we both talk a lot about mental health and self-care and academia is a place where the culture is built so that we don't really get a space to set our boundaries uh, with work and implement self-care. It's more of a work 24 seven and that means you're a great scientist, which in my mind, I, I think that it's really restrictive because there are so many amazing, amazing scientists who also wanna take a step back from their research take a break and they still do incredible, incredible science and they don't fit that mold of work 24 seven. And that's how, that's what makes you a great scientist. I think it really is a shame that, that academia doesn't celebrate these different types of people who work differently or who just want to, on a very, on a healthy level, prioritize their self care. I think academia is missing out on a huge, huge set of amazing people who would have, you know, stayed in science if, if the culture was a bit better for our wellness. Mm -hmm. I, I love your point about, I mean, I feel like we say diversity and some folks kind of, I mean, plenty of folks just write it off of like, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. but Diversity is so important, and especially in what you're saying of these various viewpoints, these various ways of thinking, of empathizing, of understanding the world, where you come from, your lived experience, the way that you work. If we could embrace those things, I think there's a lot of space for academia to improve. And, and one other thing that I want to make sure to get out there is that a lot of times when I talk about how, how academia has all of these major systemic flaws, people here burn it to the ground and it should never exist. And I think there is some validity in like, this needs a full overhaul, but I'm also, I think it's important that if you love something, you want to make it as good as you can. You know, the, the academia that I envision that so many people envision is not this. And it's not to say grads, grad school shouldn't exist. This is a, a waste of time. It, it's just to say, there's a lot of amazing people. Can we make it better for them? It's not, it's not a bad thing to want to make something better. And if you're, if, for the people unwilling to improve, I think that they need to take a really hard look at themselves and say, why would you not want it to be better? Do you honestly think that academia is the best it can be right now? Do you honestly think it's sustainable for the next 20 years? And if, if not, why aren't you willing to at least try a change? Yeah, no, I, I love that. I love how this framing of we ultimately we have the same goals of wanting to make it better of wanting to push science forward and to push quality science forward. And I, I think that that is a great way to frame it to promote 
productive conversations about change in academia because I know you know we're both on Twitter engaging in these discussions and sometimes it can get to a simple I don't know just like a combat <laughs> like a like a antagonistic fight about you know this people being resistant to change because you know you're wrong and I'm right and, and this sort of more unproductive conversation where I, I think it's so important how we frame what our goals are and everyone, I'd like to think everyone would like to have a better academia. And in the end, everyone has that goal, hopefully, like it's a mutual goal and we should work together and, and just listen to each other for different ideas and how can we, how can we achieve that? So that is, I think such an important way to frame it that fosters productive conversation and not sometimes, I think, especially as students, you know, you bring this up and it just ends up being, no, you're wrong. You know what? We're just going to keep doing what we're doing because I'm, I'm fine with it. Right. It, it, that's not productive. And no. And I think, you know, to loop it back into the, the topic of today of the self-empathy versus the efficacy. Right. Um, and because we've just got so many of these good questions. So I think it all links together of sometimes self-efficacy is self-empathy and vice versa. A lot of times if you're finding the empathy to respect your own boundaries, you are going to end up being more successful in what you find to be important. I think we hear a lot about that of like academia is great because you get to explore your own interests and like, wow, look at the, you're, you're learning and you're growing. And, and if you're not growing in the direction or the way that is going to get you to your goals, is it, is it really, is it really growth? Is that really what being a successful grad student looks to you? Or is this something that you're pulling down from other folks or that other folks are telling you. And I can tell you from the other side, um, I was a really shitty grad student in a lot of ways. And I was a really good grad student in a lot of ways. Um, and if I had flipped over completely on the other side, I would have been really shitty on one half and really shitty on the other. And like, you know, or really great in this piece, whatever. Uh, but by focusing the further I went along by focusing more on the mental health, by focusing more on building my relationships and building the things that I really like to do, the stuff that I was shitty at at grad school, I don't have to do anymore. And I don't have to feel bad about it. And I get to enjoy the time that I've spent and, and the, the skills that I've, I've learned. Uh, so let's, I, there's a couple questions that really link together for this. So, um, so Sarah Kuda asks, how do I set and enforce healthy boundaries between my work and rest? And like Melissa Honos had the same thing about how to be self-compassionate, but also work when academia is so hard. So this idea of um, how do you, how do you personally, we talk about this all the time, how do you like, how do you set those boundaries of like, I need to work, but I also really need to take care of myself. Like, do you have just like a hard and fast rule? What do you do? Yeah, I, I really like how you, you link together self-empathy and self-efficacy as like, they're, they're very linked. And if you take care of yourself, you will be more productive and you will be able to push out some good science is something that has helped me a lot. And I think what, what really 
uh, has helped me visualize what that balance of self-empathy and like research productivity was just experiencing a burnout. <laughs> like I, I remember, and I think it was before grad school, like an undergrad where I went long periods of time, very limited sleep, didn't give myself to take a step back, didn't call my friends, was kind of just in my work and ultimately fell into something where I just couldn't, couldn't work anymore. And that, that was a very like physical reaction, meaning, meaning like, Oh, being tired and not being get out of bed, uh, which we're going to dive more into, like you know that mental health topic that we we're both so passionate about. Yeah. Um, but well, it's it, like physically painful too, right? It's, I mean, having dealt both of us with depression and things, I think that a lot of people here, if they haven't dealt with it here, like, oh, I couldn't get out of bed, or I couldn't you know, just couldn't work or anything as being, you know, the same feeling as when you wake up on a Saturday morning and you just, you're like, ugh, I just want to sleep for another hour. Like, it's not that it's not, you know, or it's not sitting on your couch and feeling like I just really want to watch TV instead. It's like when you get into the mental health space and like burnout, it's like physically painful to drag yourself through these things. And you just, it feels like you had just, I don't know, it, it felt to me like driving a car for eight hours and just being like, I have to keep going. There's nowhere I can stop, but I am so worried. I'm just going to like accidentally swerve off the road or like my entire body hurts and I'm having a hard time focusing. You, you reach a limit that you just can't do anything if you end up in that situation, right? Yeah, exactly. Like all humans have that sort of limit and I think what makes it hard for everyone to understand is that if they haven't gone through a burnout experience or have had struggles with mental health it's understandably a bit harder to understand what it means to get to that point and how it can be really debilitating because I I know from personal experience before I experienced burnout or had my struggle with depression I didn't really know what it meant. Like I, I would hear people describing like, oh, I like you said, driving this car for eight hours and then not be able to, like understandably not be able to like keep, keep going. I could like conceptually understand what that meant, but I'm like, how does that, how does that actually happen? That hasn't happened to me. I still can't understand why, why, you know, working hard could lead to that. And then I experienced burnout, I'm like, oh, and it kind of took a personal experience for me to better understand it. And I think that is one of the challenges of talking about this topic and getting everyone on board is that everyone has had different experiences and like different people are maybe more susceptible to struggle with their mental health because of various factors. So I, I do have compassion and understanding for people who, who haven't experienced it yet. And it's just hard to visualize what that means. But at the same time, I think it's important for people who have experienced it to share, share their experiences and to, you know, just, just, I hope everyone is open and willing to listen to each other and if you haven't experienced something, please be willing to listen to someone else's story. Yeah. And, and that's the kind of like empathy to share towards a friend. Right. And I think that can be helpful for us in thinking about how can we, 
how can we treat ourselves? Um, for me, the, the setting these boundaries, and I love that you're talking about how having these different personal experiences have, has helped you figure out where, where your limits are and, and things like that. Um, I think it's kind of a guess and check in a lot of ways. I, I certainly at different times in grad school had very different boundaries, different limits. Um, and I think we're seeing that too with the COVID situation of people's bandwidths are very different. Uh, and so I, I think it's important to flip, this is, this is my opinion. I think it's important to flip which one is necessary and which one is important. Where self-care, self-empathy, making sure that you are okay enough to work is the most important and then filling in the extra space with the work that you can do. Um, you know, the balance side between life uh, or I like to think of it as like things that you don't do because you're forced to and um, like, and work, which is the pieces that it's, you're getting paid to do that. Or if you're not getting paid to do that, you're, it's part of the program you're in and things like that. Um, instead of thinking, how can I fit self-care and empathy and, you know, balancing my life around work, I really think it needs to be the opposite of how much, how effective can I be while still being okay as a person? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I think, you know, one of the questions before was, I, I think centered around more practical skills on how can I implement self, self-empathy and still be productive. And I just want to echo what you just said, where the priority is, is yourself, your health, because without that, you can't do research, mm -hmm. right? Like that, that, it, that is something that has helped me as well, setting that as the priority. And I think for me, once I had an experience with burnout, I could kind of realize the signs that would suggest that I am, I am heading toward burnout and I need to take a step, step back. So that could be, okay, I'm getting like not a lot of sleep right now. And if I don't get sleep, I'm not going to be able to like do my research. So I need to kind of take a step back, get some sleep, and then I can jump back into this with, with fresh eyes and more energy the next day. And that helps my research. Right. So I think, yes, prioritizing health is important. And it, it, I think everyone's different with like their personal warning signs of what it means to burn out. And that takes some self-reflection, but I, I just do want everyone to, to know that health is the most important thing. Like end of the day, doesn't like for me, I want to still be here every day and be connecting with my friends and living a great life. And that is the important thing. Research is also really, you know, a, really an area of passion and interest. End of the day, I can't do any of that if I don't have my health. Yeah. And you certainly can't enjoy it, right? Like what I think it's important to, for folks to remember why are, why are you in grad school? I think people should write it down and be reflective of why did you start grad school? Why, why are you passionate? When you are passionate, why is that? Is that because you want to change the world? Is that because you want to learn? Is that because you want to connect with great people? What does that mean for you? And can you do that if you are not in a good place emotionally, mentally, physically, or are you going to be, you know, if, if 
my goal was to learn a lot and, you know, meet a bunch of great people and figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And when I just felt like shit all the time, I couldn't do any of those things. So what was the point in being a, a, a stellar grad student in every single way if I couldn't reach my own goals? Yeah. Exactly. And just to add on to that, I think there will also be times when other people tell you the opposite that like, oh, who cares about your health? You know, you just get that paper out and that's like your self-worth, right? Like these really toxic messages that make it even harder for us to prioritize our health when there may be external, you know, people in our, in, in our environment who are actively telling us otherwise. I mean, I think that's something that I've I've seen that I've heard other people really describing as well is, is that it's really hard to maintain this internal self empathy when your environment just doesn't support it. So I think what is important is to keep in mind that there are people still pushing for positive change and who still definitely support self empathy and health over research like those people are out there and then when you do run into people who say you know you got to work 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 and who cares about your health kind of recognize that as not not really the best way to go as far as getting your research to the best quality as it can that just that just doesn't doesn't work Right. And, and when does it end? You know, I heard that the same thing from a lot of people of this is a really difficult time, just get through it. But in reality, our, okay, I have, I have kind of conflicting things because I finished grad school and my mental health is so much better. I have a boss right now who's very supportive, who checks in, who gives positive affirmations. And I'm like, what is this place? Um, so it does, it does get better, but I'm still facing, I mean, we're in a, a pandemic like in the future, I'm going to have, I'm hopefully going to be supporting a family. There's going to be health issues. There's going to be all these things. And so um, I'm really, really, really thankful right now. And I think we've talked about this, that I have had the experience of learning self-empathy. And I think grad school is a really challenging place. I think it's a bit like learning how to swim while you're in the middle of the ocean. And hopefully you have, uh, you know, a, a boat alongside you, but it's, it's a place where you do have a lot of challenges. And I think instead of seeing it as like, just get through it, just deal with it. You know, you're gonna, you're gonna have terrible health, but you're gonna get through it. It's like, well, this is actually a good time to, to learn about yourself and to take advantage of the resources that school does have. Um, I, I just had to pay for my own health insurance, which I had, was covered by University of North Carolina. And I was like, holy shit, this is expensive. And I don't have access to half of the things that I used to. Um, and that, you know, uh, to, to find a career counselor right now, if I wanted to do that, isn't provided by anyone. That's hundreds of dollars an hour. And that I could uh, access those things in grad school. I think I think it's a horrible environment in some ways, but I also think that it's because so many people do struggle, there are pockets of it, like you were saying, that are super supportive. Uh, and, and to, instead of seeing this as a thing to get through, to see it as this is a really big challenge. And when I'm done with it, I will have grown so much. And how can I make the most of who I am as a person during this time? Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. I think it's, you know, we're talking about self-empathy in the context of 
academia grad school and end of the day these are all big life skills that we can take away and apply to any other new environment that we go into like you know like you mentioned academia is an especially difficult place to practice self-empathy self-care etc as we've described but the skills we learn here in navigating if it is a, a tough you know external environment we can go forward outside of grad school and apply to new workplaces or, or new new interactions we have with other people. I think that is a great perspective to keep in mind that this, this is life and that life can help us learn a lot of new skills. Like each part of our new stages of life, we learn something new and this is time spent learning more about ourselves, learning more how to take care of ourselves. And that's all valuable. Totally. So in terms of like tangible things that people could do, you know, I'm sure folks are watching this going like, okay, yeah, I told, hopefully people agree or something. Um, but like, what can I actually do? Yeah, and we've had a lot of experiences. Do you have any tips about how do you, how can you balance self-efficacy with self-empathy? Like how, how can you figure out where that line is? Yeah, I, I think what's helped me is a tangible thing to spend energy building a support network of people who can provide, you know, support and maybe affirmations being like, you know, I, I think a simple, you are doing well and just helping you realize for yourself of your strengths and how amazing you are. Like we're all human beings and we want connection and we want to be supported. That's really natural. And I think that's something to, that might take some work to seek out. Um, I am so distracted. But anyway. <laughs> uh, welcome I, to my whole life. Huh? I said, welcome to my whole life. It's just distraction. <laughs> oh, hi, buddy. Yeah. But uh, yeah, support network, which I realize takes a lot of, can take a lot of energy to build. It doesn't come easy to everyone. And that's not because of, of people being less deserving or anything. Cause for a while I thought I was like, oh, I'm having trouble finding the right support network. That means I'm less deserving. No, that's not true. Just wanted to say that for everyone else. Sometimes it can be harder if you're moving to a new city or if like it, it's just the group of people in your program just aren't, <laughs> just so distracting, nice to stand. But anyway. If the group of people that you fall into immediately in grad school aren't the right people, it might just take some time to find the right people and some effort and putting yourself out there. And yeah, I mean, it is kind of, I, I would say in some ways unfair that I think it's kind of random how easy it is to find the people that you mesh well with. But end of the day, they are out there and everyone deserves it. And just be resilient and find find a support network of people who can who can be so positive and cheer you on. It's grad school or any whatever you're you're at in life, right? A support network is is crucial and just be resilient if you're still working to find it. Absolutely. And I think that those people can also help you figure out the difference between self-empathy and self-pity. Um, I know that that's not, I want to be really careful about how I talk about this, um, because I think that the threshold that academia gives us is like self-pity, if anything, saying like, 
I'm having a hard time. Like that's not self-pity. That is being empathetic to yourself, being honest with yourself, saying, this is a really tough time for me, or, you know, I'm struggling or saying I need to, I need to take a break or I can't handle this extra thing. Um, and I think that like a lot of times we consider that self-pity, that's not, it is just not. Um, when it gets to self-pity though, I think that it can, I've certainly fell, fallen into it where I have gotten to that point where it's like, oh, poor me. Oh, the world is working against me. Oh, you know, like uh, this is never going to work. And just this like really negative self-talk. And I, the difference for me between self-empathy versus self-pity is, am I saying this is, this is a challenge. This is difficult. I, I feel towards myself, how a friend, how I feel towards a friend of saying like, this is really hard. Love yourself it's okay, you're doing your best? Or am I saying something, like, would I say this to a friend? If I saw my friend was having a really hard time, would I say like, maybe you should just give up and you know, you can't make any difference. So just like, just don't do anything for three weeks. Like, no, if a friend came to me and said they were struggling, I certainly would not tell them just maybe things are just shitty and bad and, and you should just like lay down and not do anything. Uh, and, and those support systems can act as that. If you find people who really want to see you succeed, they can also give you that feedback where you can go to them and say like, am I kidding myself or what am I doing here? And if they care about your success, they will, they will tell you that. They'll say, you know what? I think you're taking this harder than is going to be helpful. Um, or they'll say, whoa, no, this is a bad situation. I actually like that Hermes came into the picture for this. This is Hermes. He is one of my dogs. Um, he's regretting this decision. Uh, but I, I pull him up because I got him the start of my fourth year of grad school. And he has made a huge difference, both my dogs have, because like I have to take care of them. It's not, it's not a question. And if they need to eat, I need to eat. And if they're tired, they should sleep. Um, sometimes they get themselves into trouble, they behave badly, and then they do need to, I do need to say, hey, cut that out. And same for myself of like, am I, do I need to take a night off or am I taking every night off and making it worse for myself? Um, and it's not actually helping. Uh, or like, is it good to be with friends? Absolutely. Is it good to go out with friends to the point where you can't stabilize the rest of your life? That's where I think it gets into like the dangerous part where this is not actually supporting your health it's it's an escape yeah i really like how you're making this distinction between self-empathy and self self-pity and you know we we talked about imposter syndrome in the past too and and something i brought up uh when we were talking about imposter syndrome is if you're getting to a point where like you said your self-talk is saying, oh, I, I can't do anything. I'm going to sit on the couch for three weeks and, and just just kind of kind of stop and give up versus, you know, this is a hard time right now, but I'm a resilient person and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going. Like those two are very different responses and very different types of self-talk. I think a warning sign for me was when I'm hearing something that is more of a paralyzing type of statement where I'm going to stop, I'm going to I'm going to just lay on my couch. That yeah. to me is a bit of a warning sign that that's not really a healthy way to, or not a, not a productive way to approach the situation. And I think that is a warning sign to me that I'm not really being empathetic to myself. I'm kind of just 
I'm kind of giving up. And I mean, we're humans and sometimes life is, is hard. And I do want to say that it is very natural to get to a point where you, you do feel kind of, you know, drawn out. And I, that oh, is, yeah. yeah, that's a very natural thing. And I think when you're reflecting on your self-talk and thinking about what that means, putting it in the context of like, this sort of self-talk is, is more paralyzing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very natural to get here. At what it relates to my productivity level, is it, is it going to help it? Not as much. How do I get to a place where I can be healthy and then get back into work? And having that reflection is is so important. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and to the self-pity thing, I think we hear self-pity and we hear it as like, oh, you're weak and you're awful, but self, self-pity is not inherently a negative reflection on your personality. It's, it's really more of a symptom of you are truly feeling so low that you cannot find it within yourself to, to pull yourself back up. Um, and, and so many things can affect that and it's internal, it's external. And like you were saying, this is much more of a warning sign of if you're finding yourself self-pitying yourself, not feeling empowered to take care of yourself, um, that's where you really need to reach out for help. And, and I wanted to bring that up because it's, it's not that if you get to self-pity, you're like, oh, you're not strong, you're not a good enough grad student, although it feels like that. It's actually just a sign that like, hey, you need, you need more support, you're awesome, you don't need to feel this way. And I love Fran just commented, uh, also true, hard to be friends with yourself when you kind of want to slap yourself across the face, which I, I feel that. Um, so we've got a question here from Steph uh, Paoli saying, could you talk a little uh, about how to be able to self-advocate as a grad student, how to stick up for yourself without being difficult or without being viewed as not passionate about your work? I think we both have feelings about this. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to kind of speak your voice as a grad student because there is a power dynamic between students and then, and then there's, there's students and then there's faculty and there is a power dynamic there. And I think what, what's helpful is that there are also so many fantastic faculty out there who actively support everything we're talking about and finding allies in them is really helpful. Well, you brought up a support system already, right? Like, oh, support systems. Yeah, yeah. So I think it, I've definitely come across so many fantastic faculty members who I've either connected with through Twitter or at UCLA who actively support if it's mental health or self-care and the well-being of grad students, they are out there. You know, and I, th- I think at the same time, there are, are also people who who don't support that stuff. So I, I so finding a network of uh, people and maybe at a faculty position who are allies for this can help give you power in getting these discussions going and pushing forward some positive change. Like if you are, uh, I think if you're a grad student, maybe your committee members are, are a set of people who you're directly in contact with already, who you can think about talking to and get an idea of what their views are on whatever you're struggling with. Um, committee members and your direct PI, those people are, you know, who you're in contact with um, directly, but also don't be afraid to reach out to other, other people as well. So I think, you know, that's one thing that is really cool. And, and also just 
maybe as a networking opportunity, get a chance to talk to talk to other faculty and and there are there are fantastic people out there end of the day. You just gotta look for them. Yeah, I think you know the key with self advocacy is we can all do it in in bursts, right? Like whether we're motivated by someone telling us a negative thing or a positive thing, or if we're motivated to help somebody else, but to be, to have sustained advocacy, to have sustained support for yourself, you need other people there to support you. So I think self-advocacy is in little increments. And rather than saying like, I, I have to take complete control over this and, you know, my boss or my department head or my lab mate is tearing me down, is telling me I'm not working enough and it's just ruining this. I need to go fight that battle. I don't think that that's sustainable. Um, you know, maybe going to them and saying, hey, this is how I'm feeling and this is what I'm worried about. If, if you feel like they could be empathetic, then awesome. But otherwise, advocating for yourself is finding other people to support you. Uh, and I, I don't think we're told that very often. Yes. Yeah. It's something that I had to take a while to learn, I think, <laughs> as well. So I'm glad we're taking time to, to talk about it. Yeah. And another thing about self-advocacy, I'd say that not everyone will be necessarily receptive to the message or kind of still still give you some pushback and I think what I've learned uh, especially now that I've been more active on like Twitter and doing more of this mental health stuff is that I can't change everyone's you know perspective I can I can share my ideas about how our systems can improve and raise awareness about people's stories and, and different struggles, end of the day, I, I don't think my mission is to change everyone, but rather plant more ideas, different ideas for people to think about. And I think along the way, there will be people who, you know, become allies and come on board. And that, that is, that is pretty powerful. Yeah, my face just changed for the fact that like, we got a, we got a very sweet little message from Julian, um, just saying thanks, which is, that's always nice. And I, I think you know, and, and we've got a really good question. I think it ties into that from Carla saying, how do you start conversations about mental health and wellness? It feels like exposing yourself to the stigma. Um, and and it, I feel like that ties back exactly to what you just said of like, some people are not going to be receptive. Um, I think that starting these conversations with supportive folks, that's where to go. I, I really think everyone should talk to someone and nobody should talk to everyone. And I think that hopefully what some of the viewers are seeing is, um, you know, we have a lot of support. We get a lot of support by talking out. We also get some pushback. We have both experienced some pushback um, and that sucks. But I, I get a lot out of feeling more like I'm being my, my true self. And then I also, when people send these nice messages, when people say, thank you, when people you know, say, hey, me too, um, it means so much. And, and so kind of balancing that and understanding yourself and being like, what, are the, what kind of bandwidth do I have? Is this going to benefit my well-being to talk about mental health in this way? Why do I want to talk about it? Am I trying to get therapy from someone who is not a therapist? Not a good idea, right? Um, am I trying to convey a need to somebody who can help me with that? That's great. Are you trying to make somebody else feel better about their situation? Fantastic. Um, but just respecting what your limits are and kind of sussing out slowly and incrementally who is going to give you whatever you need from those conversations. 
Yeah, it's important to know, like you said, what your needs are and what your what kind of resources you're looking to get. And I think it's it's very powerful when people do share their stories about mental health. And you know, Suzanne and I both both are active advocates for for mental health awareness. And like she said, we've had a lot of positive feedback, but also some pushback because. And this ties back to what we were talking about in the beginning of this is a system that's set up that while it is here, we have to know how to navigate, navigate it, and hopefully also push for, for positive change. So I, I think what has helped me be open about mental health is an inner passion, because I had a really hard time and I want other people to know how they can you know, help themselves so they don't end up in a place where I was at. Um, so there's the center passion. And there's also this aspect when we are open about this stuff, how will this impact us maybe professionally or in all kinds of different ways when there is stigma? And that is something I think we both do actively think about. And I think it's important for people who are open about it to say that, for me, I mean, it's definitely still, it's not easy to say like, hey, I've struggled with depression, you know, just- and It's so much harder in person. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and and about the people you're talking to, right? Is like, it's easier for me to tell that to somebody who either knows some of it already, has experienced it themselves, or is totally separated. But like, I don't think I really talk to most people in my lab about it. Like I talk all the time on Twitter and stuff, but never talk to anyone in my department in terms of like a faculty member. Um, and most of that was because I didn't think it was going to benefit me. Um, I think it was, I, I was worried it would be more destructive than productive for me. And I think, um, I think that's okay that truly if you can't support yourself it's gonna be really hard to help other people yeah yeah and i i think it it does go down to knowing what your needs are and like and and i totally agree that it's so much it is much harder to talk about in person i think i've gotten a little bit more comfortable talking about it in person because you know seeing all the positivity on twitter has kind of empowered me <laughs> but it also took some time to build up talking about it on twitter and then it was also maybe a risk or like not, it wasn't guaranteed to have like a positive, <laughs> positive response, but seeing that did kind of empower me more so to talk about it in person. I, I do think that, and, and everyone's going to have a different comfort level with what they want to share with other people. I do want to empower more of those conversations to happen and more open dialogue to happen about mental health with whatever you're, you're comfortable with because sometimes it can be very positive you bring this topic up to someone who you know you haven't talked about mental health with and it ends up being like oh wow i also felt that way and then mm -hmm. new connections and friendships are made so there can be a very positive i mean there definitely is a very positive thing to opening up that discussion i think what's important is just being aware that stigma exists there might be pushback being where that it is, there, there is some sort of risk depending on who you're talking to. No, kind of be strategic with like, if, if you're looking for a therapist, you know, don't go to 
certain people <laughs> if you're looking for a therapist and, and just being mindful of how you approach it. But I do want to empower everyone to start their, those conversations if, if they are comfortable, because in the end, I think me and Susanna have both seen such positive impact from telling our stories that I just want everyone else to know there is so much power in, in open dialogue. Yeah. And I think too, I mean, one thing we don't talk about a lot is that you can also bring up mental health and wellness in a positive way. You can say, you know, Hey, I I'm feeling really good this Monday because this weekend I took four hours and I went on a hike and I left my phone at home and that felt great. And my mental health is in a better space. You know, it, it just normalizing instead of saying, yeah, I, I feel relaxed saying I feel pretty good about my mental health or, you know, say I, I had a good talk with a friend and we discussed mental health and we talked about wellness. And so I'm, I'm really focusing right now on creating those work-life boundaries that allow me to be well in a different way. Um, I think a lot of times we feel pressured to only talk about mental health when we're actually talking about mental illness. Um, and everyone has mental health. It's the same way as everyone has a diet in terms of what you eat. Everyone has a sleep schedule. Um, and talking about it, even when it's not negative, I think that's a great way to destigmatize without putting yourself out there in a way that you're likely to receive pushback. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorites is like, guess what my therapist told me? It's a great tip. <laughs> yes. That's one of my favorites. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so doing that, of if you want to start normalizing things, um, when you have the bandwidth, do little bits, either saying like, yeah, I had a bad weekend or, or saying the opposite of like, I'm really proud of myself because this weekend I prioritized my mental health. What did you do this weekend? Yeah, and just little, little snippets in there. Yeah, like my therapist gave me a great tip. Have you tried this? Um, and then I want to, people have, ooh, Philippe, Philip, hey, Philippe. Greetings from undergrad student. This is inspiring given the fact that I tend to keep a lot of things to myself. How was your transition from undergrad grad studies in terms of mental health? Um, and I think this gets back to like kind of the one of the last points that I have at least about setting these boundaries. Um, transitioning from undergrad to grad school is it's a totally different world. I think it's as different as transitioning from undergrad to any other job. Um, the, some of the differences that in a lot of jobs, in the majority of jobs, you have a number of hours per week that you're supposed to work. You have set deadlines. You have people who are going to hold you accountable. Um, you might still have difficult situations, toxic environments, but there is it's a lot easier to have repercussions for those situations. Um, and so in terms of transitioning with mental health and, and related to the discussion today, I think that we have to be more active about checking in with ourselves about doing that self-reflection. I, I definitely have compared to undergrad where there were other people checking in on me much more. Um, and, and trying your best to set reasonable boundaries for yourself. Again, think about yourself as if you were a friend, it's the easiest way to do self-empathy. How would you talk to a friend about this? And you know, when you're talking to yourself, you might say, oh, I really should be able to read 10 papers this weekend. Somebody I know does it. I should read 10 papers and, and then go into lab for six hours. Would you ever tell a friend that? If you wouldn't tell a friend that, don't do it to yourself. If you wouldn't set up a schedule for a friend, don't do that to yourself. And so I think during that transition, I think the transition time is a great time to reset your boundaries 
find a therapist, find these healthy things. And if you get those set in place before, you know, before doing all this other stuff, it does set you up in that situation instead of saying, how can I fit self-care into my work? It's, I already have my self-care is already set. How does my work fit into that? And how can I do work in the time frame that's left? Yeah, I, I completely agree that undergrad and grad school are very different worlds. And echoing what you said about undergrad, there's more people holding you accountable. There's, there's classes with deadlines. There are people checking in. There are all kinds of, I guess, student events or ways if you're living in a dorm, there are certain, like there are resident assistants who help you make sure their job is to check in on your well-being. So there's a lot of structure built to support your mental health. And it still can be hard in undergrad, for sure. I think in comparison to grad school, there is less structure to help with mental health. And as Susanna said, that transition to undergrad to grad school is a different world and can be comparable to transitioning to anywhere else after, after undergrad. And I think what the mindset that I had, or I, I guess I didn't really have uh, good expectations for what grad school was going to be like, or accurate expectations for what grad school was going to be like. One, I was imagining it to be very similar to undergrad. I mean, you for me, I was transitioning to another campus, another university setting. And I'm, you know, there are similarities in that respect because you have the student, you know, student status. But I think one difference I noticed is going back to this idea of a support system that it takes a lot, from my experience, a lot more work to make connections in grad school in comparison to undergrad, where there are more activities or ways to connect students. In, in grad school, I mean, depending on your program, it, my program's like 10 people a year. Others might, might be a big, bigger, but in general, the programs for PhD programs, uh, in my case, was definitely way smaller than my undergrad university, where there's like thousands and thousands of students, right, in each year. So I realized that building a support network was much diff more difficult than I anticipated in grad school. And I think, I think that's actually a common perspective that people have when they transition to anywhere else, like after when they go to undergrad and then transition, that is just a common perspective in, in wherever you end up. And I just want to say that's also, there is some truth to that for grad school as well, even though you are going into a academic program at a university, you're still a student, there's similarities, but I, I just, it is very different than undergrad. I'm hella impressed though that you're even in this chat and caring about it because I I went into grad school thinking like I got this like it's gonna I mean I'm scared but I I'm ready because I was good as a student whatever and and yeah it's like it's very different so all right I'm gonna wrap this up because we could talk forever and I'm actually kind of hungry <laughs> which um you know again setting sending boundaries for health but um yeah, I think this was super fun. Every time we do this, I don't know, I just like the chance to talk with you. Uh, thank you to everyone who's been in the chat. Would love if you'd like all the all the things. I think I have our handles in there, um, but you should be able to also just search our names. 
uh, would love to connect with you there. It's also a great place that feel free to like just tweet at us and say, hey, I've got these questions. Would you do a grad chat on it? Because we're always like, what should we talk about? We talk about all the things. What do people care about? Just shoot them our way. Um, so yeah, thanks for coming. <laughs>